and go and go. And go. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages. My name is Tony Visick. And you are watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. Um, that's kind of redundant, but that's the actual title of the show. Not that it's a legal title that we've went out and, you know, uh, done any sort of, uh, uh, we haven't made any logos or anything or any pins or buttons or bumper stickers uh, or funny hats, you know, with like maybe like a thing sticking out of it saying living on a thin line. We don't have any, uh, we don't have a line of uh, under drawers with our name on the back. Uh, maybe we should. I don't know. Uh, but that is the name of the show, Living on Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. This is your daily reprieve from all the anger, anxiety, uh, hoopla, and rage running around planet Earth right now. Uh, a lot of serious things going on. And, of course, both in the macro and the micro, we all have to address the uh, serious issues in our life. But at the same time, it's important to take a break. And uh, uh, that's has always been one of the important components of uh, comedy. Now, this is not like a comedy show, like, hey, <laughs> two guys walked into a bar. Uh, we're not doing that. But it's just a break, just a reprieve, where we talk about um, uh, stuff that is somewhat inconsequential. All right? It's, it's an inconsequential show. But inconsequential things are so awfully important. Um, that's why comedy is important. Uh, is it essential? I don't know, but it's important. It's important uh, because... Uh, the brain needs a break from all the seriousness that goes on all the time. And that's what comedy provides. Um, it's, a, it's a strange time to be a comic, but it's been strange times to be a comic before. Uh, I did some joke recently and someone said that's inappropriate. And I said, yes, it is. That's the nature of jokes. Jokes, the very nature of jokes is inappropriate. They are saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place. Um, Somehow it all got sequestered off into comedy clubs at one point. And then, um, but then the comedy club started being filmed and then it was put out into the world. So, you know, it's funny because something that I'll say, uh, my wife and I will say in the car, some offhand silly thing, if then we're broadcast out in the world, might sound highly inappropriate or something that, you know, I mutter under my breath while I'm out uh, doing yard work might be in a different venue inappropriate. And I'm just a little tired of checking when. My whole idea behind comedy is I want to make people laugh. That's what I want to do. Make people laugh. Make people feel good. Uh, I see no other reason to be in stand-up comedy than that. People go, oh, I want, to, I want to speak the truth. And I go, all right, well, then why don't you become a truth, truth talker? Open up one of them truth talking clubs. Put it up. Truth tonight. I'll be telling the truth. You know, as for me, I want to make people laugh. And what makes people laugh changes over time. What made people laugh in the um, 1920s when uh, radio was king and a guy like Eddie Cantor, Eddie Cantor was the biggest comedy star in America, doesn't make us laugh now. His entire shtick was based on having two ugly daughters, according to him, okay, and then trying to marry them off. That was his entire shtick. That was his bit, you know, just like there was a group, Fibber McGee and Molly with stuff falling out of the closet and Americans tuned in every week to the radio and sat by the radio with their ears up against it just to listen to stuff fall out of the closet or listen to Eddie Cantor lament trying to marry off what he uh, uh, described as homely daughters. He actually did have two daughters and uh, uh, supposedly the entire thing scarred them for life. But hey, Eddie didn't care. Uh, 
but that's what passed for comedy then. Wouldn't pass for comedy now. Maybe what passed for comedy five years ago, ten years ago, wouldn't pass now. But I'm not going to beat anybody up emotionally, psychologically, or physically for what they said five or ten years ago. But that does seem to be a uh, pastime right now. And I don't even know how I got off on all that. Hey, we want to uh, we want to keep it fun. We want to keep it light. We want to keep it a uh, uh, hallucinogenic. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that just by the sound of my voice, I could eventually replicate an LSD trip for you. Not any be power. <laughs> His voice is kind of trippy. Um, so we're gonna keep trying to do fun things. Uh, and I got something fun for you tonight and just like this show it is free tonight is free and all you got to do is go to my website comedyschools.com comedyskills.com and right at the top there's a meeting id and a password for tonight's free intro to stand up comedy this is the first free intro i'm doing online this is the first free intro i'm doing online so I'm a little um, excited and nervous at the same time, okay? And I hope that I do a good job. Hope we do a good, good job. But if um, you're watching and you're going, you know what, I, I don't think I'll take a comedy class, but I'm interested in hearing what he has to say, go to my website, comedyschools.com, and the information is there for you to join the meeting this evening at 6 p.m. Mountain, Mountain Standard Time. Um, also, this Sunday, and I was going to announce it this morning and i did something goofy and it ate up my morning okay it's like one of those do you ever do one of those you, you got your whole day planned out okay you're a little ahead of the curve you go i got this and after today we'll be way ahead of the curve and then what little tiny thing throws you off shale brenner says she's got two people coming to me tonight thank you shale hear that jim perry and randy shales and kevin Shale's got two people coming to the free intro tonight. Oh, there's nothing like guilt and shame, is there? Oh, Lord, it feels so good. Um, here's the little tiny thing I did, and I actually did it yesterday. Is um, We had received a package. We'd, get, we'd sent away, and we got ourselves a package. And uh, when I went to the mailbox and opened her up, there's a key inside, along with the, uh, the mail which primarily is a bunch of advertisements for shit I'm not going to buy. Somehow the U.S. mail has become uh, the number one uh, advertiser for useless crap like uh, um, walk-in tubs and uh, 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 cremation. <laughs> I, I think it's probably my age. I get a lot of mail for walk-in tubs and uh, uh, being cremated, uh, hopefully after I'm dead. Um, but I took that key and I went to box 2BP. 2BP. And I stuck that key in to get the package. The magic package. And you know what? I stuck it in the wrong hole. Go ahead. Fill in your own joke there. I want you to fill in your own joke there. Okay? There's two slots. Okay? And I'm not usually the package getter. That's, that's my wife's job. That's my wife's job to go and get them packages. All right? Because usually they're for her. They're not for me. So um, I took the key... Where you're going to go into the package area. Because we got like those silver mailboxes, you know, where there's a whole bunch of them. Um, uh, and I took the key and there's two little slots to put the key in. The top one is for the postal worker to open up that box and put your package in. And the bottom one is for you to open. 
I put the key in the top one and it got stuck. Now panic ensued. Anxiety, anger, rage, guilt. Whole marriage almost fell apart over the whole damn thing. When I had to come back and tell my wife, I go, I screwed up and put the key in the wrong hole and it won't open up. It's stuck there. Okay. And they were both looking at each other and we both thought the same thing. And she goes, what if someone gets our package? You go, they can't get in. They can't open it. She goes, you can't open it. Like maybe it was like me personally that I'm now too weak to open up a mailbox box, you know? And so she walked up. I drove up because it was hot and I'd already been outside that day. She, she walked up to try to get that key out her own damn self and came back a failure. She no. could not, you could not open the box. I told you it was in the wrong slot. Yeah, I knew it was in the wrong slot. I, well, I, I, why was I going to keep, all I knew is that the damn box wouldn't open up. Hello, champ. So now the key is stuck in the box and we can't open it. And there's a package in there that belongs to us. And it's about 3.40 in the afternoon. Post office closes at four. I don't know why during COVID they think they're going to help cure COVID by just shutting things down, you know, at four instead of six. That's two hours alone. Um, but you know what? I'm not a doctor. Um, anyway, I ran up to the post office. I got there at 358. I got in and they said, you got to go to the other facility or you got to call it. Well, I call it and just every time when I call the number, all I get is a busy signal. Beep, beep. It's like the 70s trying to get things done by phone and email or anything nowadays. Uh, things take forever. There's not enough people involved. This morning when I got up, Shirley and I, Shirley and I got in my vehicle, my vehicle, and we drove over to the postal facility, which we've never been to before, like this big warehouse about five miles from the house. But there's all kinds of signs up saying no trespassing, postal employees only, blah, blah, blah. And there's no way to get in. I go, how are we going to get? How are we going to get our package? And then uh, a post office truck was coming out, and I rolled down my window, and the lady in the post office truck rolled down her window. And I explained to her our plight. And she said, well, you just got to kind of hang out and hope you can grab the postal worker. Well, then now I'm going to have to camp out like I'm duck hunting. Call. Well, she told me to call. But I told her I had. Yes, she told me to call. But I had been calling. I had been calling. And all I'm getting is a busy signal. And the lady in the post office truck told me she goes, there's only one person in there. So while Shirley and I have been driving down the road and I'm trying to listen to Tom Petty radio, okay, and I'm trying to have a nice morning and I'm trying to go to the Walmart to pick up supplies, okay, uh, dusting off my mask, uh, getting my hand sanitizer ready. Uh, I keep trying to call and finally I got through and I was nice to the lady and I called her ma'am and said, thank you. And I said, I'll take responsibility. And she said, she would tell the post office lady, she would tell our mail carrier and they would get it squared away. And when we got home, Luck would have it. As we pulled down our street, there was our mail carrier at the box. Uh, not the normal one, okay, but a different one. I, the one I've, I've seen her there for years. And she had everything open up. I explained it to her. I had to share my ID, and she gave us our box. And all is right with the Lord again. But that took up all that time. It totally blew the morning. And there's still a bunch of stuff you can't see my desk, and thank God you can't see it because I got it blocked. I got it blocked. I'm like a I'm like a desk uh, linebacker. 
I got to block. Uh, but I got important. I got important stuff on there that has to be attended to. Uh, and then I got to take it under Drucker's store and have it mailed off. <laughs> uh, and I can't get. I was able to get to it right now because my whole morning got blown. My whole morning got blown. So um, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad I was able to share. What? What'd you say? Yeah, so I now I got to go to a turnkey class, learn how to turn a key. Um, <coughs> what else I got to tell you? Oh, so that's right. I was gonna have it up this morning, and then we had the uh, the mystery of the uh, the mystery of the mangled key that um, didn't allow me to do some of the important work I need to do in order to keep my family fed and to keep uh, keep the world turning. Um, tonight it'll be posted up this Sunday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Tony Vizic presents the Dads of Comedy. That's right. On Father's Day, we're gonna have a Father's Day show for all you fathers out there, for all you mothers, for all you brothers and mothers. Okay, for all you sisters and uncles, aunts, foster parents, uh, absentee landlords. Uh, there's gonna be a show for you Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Zoom called the Dads of Comedy. All the information will be posted tonight uh, and how to purchase tickets. It'll all be posted on ComedySchools.com and ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. It'll all be there. Buy a ticket for these shows. When you buy a ticket to a Tony Visick Presents shows, you are purchasing three things. Okay? You are purchasing entertainment. You are purchasing your part in keeping the economy going because we pay the comics. And we are donating money to a local food bank so you're feeding people. Three things, 10 bucks, good deal. Buy them. They'll be on sale tonight, Father's Day show. Uh, the special, the cool thing about this Father's Day show is that I will have on, hello, Brother Jer, on uh, this Sunday show, I can announce this, Greg and Alden Moody. It's a father and son who both do stand-up comedy. That's right. Great guys, good guys, personal friends of mine. Um, they're going to be on this. They'll be the featured comics on Sunday night show. Okay, uh, and Jim Perry says, giving back through laughs, love it. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that what we're doing, Jim? We're just trying to have fun, just trying to have a good time. Um, Okie doke. So you know that there's a free intro tonight at 6, and you know there's a show that only costs 10 bucks Sunday night at 7, and that you're going to be able to get all that information very soon on ComedySchools.com. And now, now you want to know, hold on, what I got here? There we go. You want to know what music we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, I know. You're going, what about, what about the, the knick-knack, the uh, memento? Where is that? Um, here's what happened. Yesterday, I spent so much time talking about something. All we did was the memento, which is a very cool thing. It was a, a, a one-string musical instrument that my daughter made for me that we never got to the music. So today, I'm skipping, for the first time, the autographed memorabilia, the memento, the trinket. Uh, I'm skipping that today and going, right to the music and i'm going to go with some uh some biggies here this was an important album when i was 15 years old and i bought this album at the uh ben franklin five and dime in house springs missouri which was uh there was a little three-store uh strip mall there and had the tomboy grozik store that was the grocery store for town then the uh, uh ben franklin Ben, yeah, ben Franklin, uh, five and dime store, kind of like a Woolworths. And right next to it was the Rexall drugstore. And it just seemed like a big old deal. They had a parking lot, a whole town had come up there. 
And when we first moved out to House Springs across the street was the, and still is there, was the uh, local Greasy Spoon, the House Springs Cafe. Uh, and then, but right across the street, if you look slightly to the left, was the House Springs Parking Pool, the largest public pool in the Midwest. During the 1950s, people flocked from all over that region to go to the House Springs Parking Pool with huge camp, uh, not campgrounds, but uh, pavilions and barbecue grills where whole families would come by the carload, a buck a carload, and be able to pull up their car and have a nice pavilion with uh, picnic benches and a barbecue grill, and they could barbecue and have fun and a giant pool with a high dive. And um, we won't see the likes of a lot of that in the world again. And the last year it was open, I got to work there. But at the Ben Frank store right across, and when Shirley and I were in St. Louis uh, last fall, when I was fortunate enough to be able to do a show for a lot of my St. Louis friends, and I'm so glad we got a chance to do that. So glad. Um, I don't know when I'll get back to St. Louis again. I, we will get back to St. Louis. But still that we were uh, young enough and, and full of fun enough, we went to St. Louis and went to a ball game and bummed around and ate down at the West End and stayed in the Soulard District. And we went out to where uh, my brother Jerry and I uh, lived from 1965 forward until we both moved on from there. Uh, and I went to where the old Ben Franklin store was. And now it's a restaurant with pizza and it was pretty good pizza. But I mean like a real kind of simple counter and tables pizza. You know, a lot of guys in flannel jeans with kind of roll up cuffs and work boots. You know, but good people, all kinds of people, nice, friendly people. But uh, real kind of rural America. But it used to be a drugstore and the drugstore right when you walked in had racks with albums. And I would save up and I save up and I bought this. You won't even be able to make it out. I've had this since I was 15. I will be 65 in August. There it is. Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. This was, without a doubt, one of the most important albums of the 70s. One of the most important. This set a tone for what we listened to and how we listened to it. Okay? Uh, the one that's most heralded by him is everybody knows this is nowhere. Um, that's got cowgirl in the sand. Cowgirl in the sand. Is it in the sand or on the sand? Etc. This one, um, uh, all these guys were really starting to introduce us to country music. The stuff they had listened to that their dad, moms and dads, maybe granddads played on the radio when they were little kids and uh, really shaped them. Neil Young, a Canadian, way up there in the frozen tundra, would listen to Don Gibson's Oh Lonesome Me, and then he recorded it. Uh, Don't Let Bring You Down, It's Only Castles Burning. Birds, When You Dance, I Can Really Love, I Believe in You, and Cripple Creek Ferry. Cripple Creek Ferry is only one minute and 34 seconds long. Uh, that was side two. Side one, Tell Me Why, After the Gold Rush, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, Till the Morning Comes, and a song that kind of set off a reaction in a lot of young musicians that lived south of the Mason-Dixon line. And the song was Southern Man. Southern Man Better Feed Your Head. Don't forget what the good book said. It was a song decrying slavery and decrying the attitude that not only brought slavery to America, but kept slavery as an institution and the mindset that continued into that day and into now that saw um, African-Americans as inferior but every action has an equal reaction. In a few years, 
after Neil Young, this album came out, I believe, in 1970, uh, did Southern Man, which was a massive FM hit. Leonard Skinner came out with Sweet Home Alabama and had that infamous line, uh, "Tell Neil, I hope Neil Young will remember, Southern Man don't need him around anyhow. And that song became maybe a bigger hit than Southern Man. And what it was was a bunch of uh, uh, Southern white boys who wanted to play rock and roll who didn't like being told that the attitudes, thought processes, culture that they uh, uh, lived in might need a little fixing. And you saw this reaction in rock music to the sort of uh, liberal leftist progressiveness of so many of the artists, and it began to uh, uh, bubble up in so many places, uh, but for a great deal in southern boogie rock, which, by the way, was uh, based in black music, and which, by the way, uh, musical-wise was really great. But Southern Man uh, was a hit that caused another uh, hit that was a reaction to it. Not like, you know, in the old days when uh, somebody'd come out with a song about uh, what it was like being a boy and a girl come out with a song like what it's like being a girl. You saw a lot of that in country music. But, uh, man, I played this thing so many times. This thing is so beat up and torn up. I used to joke, I go, it's got so many scratches on it, and some of the scratches, I can go, I remember the night that scratch happened. Okay, on Reprise Records, uh, Neil Young, very important guy in uh, the annals of, uh, annals, annals, annals of uh, American now classic rock. Um, as a member of the Buffalo Springfield, as a member of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, sometimes young, and as a solo artist, of course. Now, this next one um, needs no introduction, because this next album, I just, I was looking at the artwork and I went, man, how stunning. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest rock and roll band in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones. This is Tattoo You. Tattoo You. Check out that album cover. Check out that artwork. One of the things that uh, uh, will sorely be missed and one of the things that at one time... Uh, there will be retrospectives and museums and uh, uh, tons of uh, articles and stories and books, even if the books are online, will be written about is album artwork. Because uh, starting somewhere in the uh, mid-60s, it went, it became uh, not as important as the album, but almost as important. Sometimes the album artwork being more wonderful than the album itself. Uh, on this this was, uh, this was the Stones' 80s stuff. This is, uh, I want to say, their last gasp at original recording that still sounded new and vibrant and fresh because they were able to go on a little after that. But this was kind of like the apex of um, before they became what they are, which is a nostalgia act. Uh, Shirley and I saw them last summer. They were fantastic. Uh, I've seen them a number of times. My brother Jerry and I here saw them in uh, 1971 or two when they were a vibrant act. Uh, great musicians, great songs, but they're primarily a nostalgia act now. Unlike the only other touring uh, band from that era that draws massive crowds, which is uh, from the 60s, is what I'm talking about specifically, uh, Paul McCartney would draw massive uh, crowds, but he's primarily a nostalgia act. Uh, the Stones are a nostalgia act. The Grateful Dead, Dead & Company are not a nostalgia act. Um, because they keep reinventing the songs. Keep reinventing the songs. But on Tattoo You, is, uh, um, of course, the riffs that Keith Richards made 
We're just stunning. Start me up. You all hear it in your head right now if you know the song. All right, then Hang Five, Slave, Little TNA, Black Limousine, Neighbors, Worried About You, Tops, Heaven, No Use Crying, and of course the great Junkies Lament, Waiting on a Friend. Of course, the, by this time, there was only one giant hit off this album, and that was Start Me Up. Although I think Waiting on a Friend is actually a better song. But this was the Rolling Stones in the 80s. Yes, in the early 80s. Still hanging in there. I don't know if I've got the personnel who were on the album. Uh, we don't. Every song, of course, written by Jagger Richards. Produced by Jagger Richards as the Glimmer Twins. Uh, this was, uh, this was the uh, full-fledged Ronnie Wood Rolling Stones. Uh, Mick Taylor was long gone. Mick Taylor was long gone by this album. This may have been the first full-fledged, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, someone who's a little deeper into paint, uh, full-fledged, um, I don't know if uh, uh, Mick played on this or not, but the, um, I know that the, um, I think it was the video for Waiting on a Friend, uh, which is Keith kind of walking down the street, like it's in the morning, and he's like, one of those where you've pulled an all-nighter and you're totally fucked up and just walking down the street kind of still drunk, but starting to be hung over and the other ones. And they all show up in a bar and Ronnie's there and they all start playing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it could be for that or for it's only, it's only rock and roll that um, Ron Wood was uh, brought in right around that time. Anyway, by this time, full-fledged Ronnie Wood, the Rolling Stones that we've all know, known now since the 80s. Um, Funk-driven riffs, you know, with... Uh, 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 Mick just soaring over them as Charlie holds it all down. Um, uh, anyway, love Tattoo You. Love the artwork on it. Love Start Me Up and Winning on a Friend. If you are unfamiliar, you might, you're familiar with Start Me Up. You might not be as familiar with Waiting on a Friend. YouTube that one and tell me that's not just one of the coolest damn tunes you ever heard. Tell me that doesn't make you want to go open up a bar at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, we're going to kind of wrap up now. Wrapping up. We're going to be finished. We're going to be done. Uh, we got our mailbox key out. Uh, I got some bills paid today. I still got a hunk of work to do that's not going to get done now till tomorrow. All right? Uh, you know what? But I'm going to pace myself. And I want you to pace yourself too. Don't be hard on yourself. You have value whether you put in 18 hours a day or they only work eight minutes today. Be good to yourself. I'll be good to you. Okay, you be good to me. We're all going to be good to one another. Stay safe out there, all right? And if you can do one good thing for one person, it's not some pay it forward shit. Just it's a minor thing. If it's opening the door for someone, if it's smiling at someone. Today, I had a conversation with the guy. Uh, I was at Walmart. I was. I live in Maricopa. What do you think I'm going to shop? Um, and uh, having a, the, the guy who stands over by the self-checkout line talking about what it's been like for him. And how people just dump on the guy all the time. And he told me about it. Not with any sort of guilt or anger or anything. I said, everybody playing nice? He goes, for the most part. He goes, it's better than it was about a month ago. He goes, just everybody just took it out on us. Took it out on, on, on us. On the cashiers and us. He goes, I guess they had to take it out somewhere. And here we were. You're going through something? Don't take it out on someone. Share it with someone, all right? Okay, I hope I see you or someone you know tonight at 6 p.m., Mountain Standard Time for my free intro. ComedySchools.com is where you get the meeting ID and password. Uh, I hope I see you Sunday night. Dad's a comedy. 
do that. Come to that show. Support these comics, okay? Support these comics. I got so many comics going, I'd rather go to wait till the clubs are open. Well, these guys are not interested in going to open mic nights and nightclubs every week where you might be able to catch COVID. I'm just going to fucking say it. Where are you going to put your risk? Okay? And they're not interested in trying to guilt you into coming clubs where you might catch COVID. So they've come up with a way for you to be able to enjoy yourself and have fun, okay, and get a laugh or two as safely as possible. We'll put our risks certain places, okay? We'll do a couple of live shows, but on a weekly basis, we're going to bring you just the same great jokes and great performers you would see in a nightclub somewhere into your house, into your home, where you can enjoy them safely, all right? And, and, and we'll all live to fight another, another day. All right, that's our show. Thanks a lot. I'll be back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. My name's Tony Vizic. You've been watching Living on a Thin Line. Bye-bye.